0: If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And and while you're turning there, I want you to think on this particular question. What is your faith story? Uh, What is an experience that God has taken you through that was completely out of your control, that forced you to just trust in the Lord and cry out to Him in distress. A few years ago, we had a couple of missionaries come from across Australia, and, and they shared about how when they went out into the field, the only commonality they shared with the tribal people who had never seen a white person before was the word Abba, as an Abba father. But that was the only word that this tribal group knew and they were able to connect using that as they stepped out by faith to fulfill the great commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. I have a friend I know personally who, when he went out into the field, him and his colleagues, they met with a tribal group who had never, once again, seen any white people before. Uh, They had to strip down and while they were walking away, the tribal people were shooting arrows at them. After they came to know the gospel, those people who were shooting arrows at them shared that the game that they were playing was trying to shoot as close as they could get to the actual people, to my friend and his colleagues, without actually hitting them. And so when an arrow would go into the bush, they would go, get the arrow, bring it out so they couldn't have another go. So he prayed for God's protection as he stepped out by faith to fulfill the call God placed in his life. I've experienced similar things in my life as well, where I've I've seen the hand of God minister to me in situations and in circumstances that were beyond my control, that he gave me the words in a crazy situation, that he provided a need miraculously for me and for my family as I sat there with, with my hands tied, with my resources completely gone, with, with just being overwhelmed by the circumstances that faced me, that forced me, that forced me to, by faith, trust in the Lord's moving. Or what's worse, even when I didn't have the faith, when I was full of doubt, God in his mercy, God in his grace moved anyway to draw me closer to himself, to show me that he's there, to show me that he's working, to show me that he is in control. So then, what is your faith story? You might be going through a, 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 a situation even now where God is, is calling out to you, where God is reaching out to you, where God is developing your faith, developing your life, developing your relationship where you as a man or as a woman might increase in that relational faith that the Lord has invited us into. So today, if you've got your bowels turn to Hebrews 11, we're going to be looking at a man that Galatians 3.9 refers to as the man of faith, being Abraham. Now he is acknowledged as the patriarch of Israel and one whom God imputed righteousness because of his faith with the God of Israel. We read in Hebrews 11 of a specific event that he is commonly associated with, but we're gonna be referring back to Genesis chapter 22 at the same time because that gives us more detail about the situation that is mentioned here in Hebrews 11. So while, while, the, while we look at this, I don't want us to focus solely on the faith that Abraham has, as, as great as an example as it is, but rather to the source of his faith. That's the focus we want to be looking at today. The source of his faith whereby he was able to carry out what God had asked of him. And we, by grace, might be able to draw lessons that enables us to follow through on what God requires of us as well. So this this morning we're going to look at faith, tried and tested, toughened and triumphant. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to do the reading first, and then we'll open in a word of prayer after that. So Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Bow your heads. Let's open in a word of prayer. Let's seek God as he ministers to our heart through the scriptures this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example that you have given to us from your word, the faithfulness that you show, the love that you reveal, the grace that you manifest toward people like us, toward Abraham, toward just us as sinful people, you reveal yourself in such an amazing way. And We ask that this morning you will teach us, you will reveal to us just how great you are, and that we might fall more in love with you as you reveal what it is to live by faith in Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray, amen. So we're looking at faith tried and tested, faith toughened and triumphant. In verse 17, when we look at faith tried, we read this, the first part of verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him. Now the word tested there can also be translated as tried meaning that there is a confrontation or a situation that presents itself that becomes or can become a source of worry, a source of trouble, or a source of hardship. And when you look at what's asked of Abraham, you see this huge source of worry, trouble, and hardship presented to him, a trial that's placed directly in front of him as a man of God, as he is commanded by God to offer up his son his son Isaac that he had with his wife Sarah, the, the son that God had promised him through Sarah. If you look at Genesis 21, verse 12, Isaac is referred to as the son of promise because God promised Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Um, Genesis chapter 12, verses two and three. And that his descendants would be as numerous as as the stars in the sky. That's in Genesis fifteen, five. As well as promising Sarah, who was quite old at the time and barren and couldn't have children, told that she would know the joy of being a mother, and that's in Genesis eighteen, verses ten to fifteen. All of these promises are fulfilled in accordance with God's plan in the birth of Isaac, when you read that in Genesis twenty-one. And so it is here in Genesis 22, if you've turned there already, that the trying of Abraham's faith comes to pass. We read the following verses in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. We read this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I refer to this as the trying of Abraham's faith because at the moment, it is only God instructing him. At the moment, it is God requesting or asking, or to be more specific, God commanding him to offer up his only son to literally sacrifice him as an offering to the Lord. Now, the word tried, even there when it talks about tested, the word tried there is not the verb. It's not the action. It's not like, Abraham, give it a go. It's not It's not that sort of description. The word is more an adjective. It's, it's describing the attitude that's in connection with it. That is, faith is tried. The, the adjective that describes what is asked of Abraham in terms of what is worrying, the source of his worry, the source of his trouble, the source of his hardship. Because from my perspective, that's a worrying, troublesome, hardship type thing. To be asked by God that I had to give up one of my children, that I'm to offer one of my children to him. That's a pretty big request. This is what one preacher refers to as a crisis of faith. A crisis of faith a choice that God presents to you that reveals who you trust or where you place your reliance, on whom you place your dependence. Moses experienced this in Exodus chapter 3 when God approached him in the burning bush and said, I'm going to use you to deliver Egypt. You've got to go to Pharaoh and do this. That was Moses' crisis of faith. He was was given a choice. Joshua experiences the crisis of faith when he has to take over leading Israel to claim the promised land in Joshua chapter 1. Habakkuk experiences this in the book of Habakkuk as he has been filled with doubts regarding what God is doing and God challenges him and reveals to him what he's actually doing while he sees only what's in front of him. He has this crisis of faith as to who he's going to trust. Nehemiah experiences this when he has to respond to King Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2 as the cupbearer for the king, and the king asks him what's wrong. He has to make a choice. Each of these men, and actually all throughout Scripture, people are challenged with a calling, people are challenged with a mandate, people are given a command that requires them to make a choice. To release whatever it might be to the Lord or Attempt to handle it your own way. We are constantly brought to these points in our lives as well choices that are laid before us. And, and like Abraham, when tried, we are confronted with our crisis of faith too. I mean, you may be in one right now where we have to make a choice as to how we respond to the Heavenly Father's commands and what. What we are, sorry, and what the Lord Jesus tells us to do in his word. Which is quite difficult because we already know, according to 1 John 5, 3, that his commands are not burdensome. They're here to set us free. They're here to liberate us. We're told that the truth of God's word, when you know the truth, the truth will set you you free. So what then do you do? What then do I do in the middle of such moments? Especially when we know, according to the scriptures, that the Lord knows that we are but flesh, that we are but flesh, (Psalm 78, 39, and that we are prone to rely on chariots and horses instead of trusting in the name of the Lord. Um, that's in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. In other words, whether we trust in our own resources, the way we handle things as opposed To trust in the Lord. That's what happens when our faith is tried. What do we do? How do we handle it? And that's an answer we're going to look at a little bit later on. But it's something definitely to think about. That's what it is to have our faith tried. It is the proposition that the Lord gives us as to what we are going to do. But then we move from it being tried to it being tested. In verse 17 again of Hebrews 11, we see by faith Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Now we read in the Hebrews chapter 11 verse a quick summary summary of what Abraham's Abraham's response was and that he just offered Isaac. We're not told any specifics. We're not told any details. That's why we need to glean from Genesis chapter 22 the insight of what Abraham did But also, we're given an insight into why he did it. Faith, we are told, according to Hebrews 11, chapter 1, is the substance or the the confidence of things we hope for, the assurance uh, about what we do not see. I like what one preacher termed it as. Faith is the capacity to see God, be God, and believe God will do what he says. That's what faith is. The capacity to see God, be God, and to believe that God will do what he says. And as you read in Genesis 22, you see the revelation of that truth evident in the way Abraham conducts himself. If you've got your Bibles in Genesis chapter 22, follow along with me. I'm going to read verses 3 to 10. I'm reading from the CSB. So, verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning. Saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son, Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac. And just to let you know, Isaac's roughly about 17 now. Okay, he's not, he's not, he's not a young kid. He's not a little boy. He's about 17. Okay. Um, in his hand, took the fire and the knife. Abraham took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, uh, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son, Isaac, and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. And the NIV, says to slay. I like the word slaughter because it's, 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 it's it, it gives an accurate description of, of what it is. He's going to slaughter his son. Think about this. The Lord, who knows what he is doing, commands Abraham to release what was given to him by God in the first place. I want to say that again. The Lord who knows what he's doing is asking Abraham to offer up to him that which God had given to him in the first place. If you look at the calling of of Moses, God does this often. The calling of Moses is where God says to Moses, lay down your staff, it becomes a serpent, and then God says to Moses, take up your staff again. Sometimes God asks back from us that which he's given to us and then sometimes he gives it back. If he knows we'll use whatever he's given to us for his glory, if he knows that we'll use it to bless others, if he knows that we can use it for the glorifying of his name, for the proclaiming of his word, for the preaching of his gospel, he will give it back if he knows that we'll use it in the right way. He's given us our families. He's given us this church. He's given us our jobs. He's given us so much, and God says, give it back. You offer it to me. And sometimes God will say, I know you'll use this to glorify my name. And he'll give it back. And so he says to, to Abraham here, give me your son. And God in his mercy would have his will be done in Abraham's life and in Isaac's life. But the fact that Abraham, and this is the thing, with the reason why his faith could be tested is because Abraham could see what was going to come about through the eyes of faith. Through the eyes of faith. He had the capacity, capacity to see through the eyes of faith, God being God, and he believed that God will do what he said he was going to do. You know how I know this? Look at what he does. Go back to verse 5 in Genesis 22. We read this. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then what does he say? Then we'll, plural, then we'll come back to you. He knows that Isaac's gonna come back with him already. Why? Because God promised him. God already made him that promise. You look again in verses seven and eight. When Isaac asks him and says, my father, here I am, my son, Isaac said, sorry, sorry, um, Abraham said, Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? What does Abraham say in verse eight? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. How did he know that? As far as he knows, he's gonna offer his son. But how did he know? Why? Because God promised him that it was through Isaac all the nations of the world will be blessed. Because it was Isaac and the promise that God made regarding Isaac. Abraham knew this. He took God at his word and is excited to see, well not even excited, but he is willing to see God be God and believed that God will do what he said he would do. And what's amazing is this, that submission that obedience that understanding is reflected in isaac as well look at verse 9 when they arrived at the place that god had told him about abraham built the altar there arranged the wood so the altar's made then what does he do he ties up his son and places his son on the altar and isaac does it that's amazing that's amazing he, then in verse 10, then Abraham reached out, took the knife to slaughter his son. Why would he do this? Why would Isaac willingly allow himself to be tied up, placed on an altar, and then his dad stands above him with a knife ready to, as the Bible says here, to slaughter him? Why? Because Isaac trusted his father, and he knew his father wanted what's best for him. Abraham trusted his heavenly father. And he knew his heavenly father wanted what was best for him and what was best for Isaac. You read in Jeremiah 17, 7, it says this. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Why? Psalm 125, 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Abraham knew who his God is. Abraham knew what God's promises were, and his life hinged on those promises. His life revolved around God's word. His life revolved around the knowledge of who he was and the relationship, when I say who he was, who God was, and his relationship he shared with him, that relational faith. And in this culture of complete trust of Isaac, of his dad, of his dad with his heavenly father, we get to witness the intervention and providence and deliverance of God. In Genesis 12, verses 11 to 14, we read this. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy, Or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of a son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. It's quite amazing. I remember a guy many years ago shared with me. Why is it that God sometimes wait till the very end before he does something? Why is it that God takes you to the very extreme? And I says says to him, well, think about this. Why did he wait till Abraham had the knife above his son? Why did he wait, wait then? Why? Because it's a revelation of us, of who and what we will really trust in, who and what we will really depend on. God sometimes moves us to the very edge so we have no other reason or no other purpose or no other point but just to trust in him, the God who loves, the God who cares, the God who's involved with each of us. Now, I have seen and I have heard so many criticisms of God and of Abraham in this trying and testing of his faith. I've heard people say that God is unreasonable to make such a request, that Abraham was an idiot for following those commands to sacrifice his son, that God is tyrannical and narcissistic in doing what he did to just see what Abraham was gonna do. Let me give you a bit of food for thought. Let me give you a bit of food for thought, okay? Think about this. In my 50 years of life, I have seen parents sacrifice their children on the altar of economic success. I have seen people sacrifice their moral values on the altar of career or social advancement. I have I have seen people sacrifice family relationships on the altar of personal gain. I I have seen and I've read of many abortions taking place every year, every year and I looked at a stat and 2019 in New South Wales alone there were 20,000 abortions, 20,000 killing of babies in the womb in 2019 a small percentage of which was done for valid medical reasons less than 1% so there has been the sacrifice of, of children, of actual lives on the altar of personal convenience so don't, don't you dare say that God is being unreasonable. Don't you dare say that God is being unfair, that God is being narcissistic. Why? Because the difference with God and the God of the Bible is that as the creator, he has every right to give and to take away. He has every right to do with, because he made it, what he wants and how he wants. And so in asking for Isaac's life from Abraham, he has the power to reinstate that life if he chooses to take it. The Lord Jesus, when confronted with Pilate, he says, "You know, don't you know I can give you your life to you? And he says, no man can take my life from me. I lay it down of myself and I can take it back up again. Why? Because he is in control. Because he is in charge. And because he has the power to give give life back abraham was fully persuaded regardless of the outcome whether the knife came down or not the truth of the author of hebrews states this reality in verse 19 the first part of verse 19 of hebrews chapter 11 says abraham reasoned that god could even raise the dead that was his comfort that's what his reliance was. Not on himself, not on what's going on, regardless of what happened, whether the knife came, back, came down or not, God would have his will be done on earth exactly like it is in heaven. I want you to notice one more thing here, okay? Um, God never asks of us that which he is not willing to do himself. Remember this. We read in the gospels how God the Father presented his only son as a sacrifice. We read that on the altar of the cross, Jesus Christ was offered as a sacrifice for sins, offenses, for our sins, offenses, and the knife of God's judgment was not held back. He bore the full brunt of God's wrath, of God's judgment, of God's, condemnation of sin, and he did so willingly because of his love for you and I. He didn't hold back. Christ took everything because we needed to be forgiven. We needed to be made new. We as sinners, broken and separated from God, could only only be reconciled to God through what Jesus Christ did for us. Was it, 2 Corinthians five twenty-one That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the trial that was laid before him, Christ met head on by submitting to the will of the Father, by being obedient to his word, and by surrendering his life as a sacrifice so that we might receive eternal life through faith in him. So, how was Abraham able to go through such trial? How was he able to go through such testing? How was he able to go through what he did and come out the better for it? Well, this is where his faith is toughened. Now, I was called over last weekend. uh, Yeah, last weekend I was called over to dig a hole. Now, I've dug a few holes in my day, okay? Okay. Not not grave-sized holes, just little holes or trenches, okay? And because I've dug a, a, a huge number of holes, when I was offered some gloves, I was like, nah, she'll be right, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Now, it's been many a year since I've dug a hole and done manual labor like that. And it was evidenced, although they're a bit healed now, by the blisters that formed on my hands. I mean, I had a blister on the end of my finger. That's my scratching finger. That was really irritating. I had blisters inside my my, my, between my index and my thumb. That was really painful. I had a a blister here on the palm of my hand and and things. So over the years, like it's been many a year since I've like swung an axe, um, shoveled manure, uh, dug holes or anything like that. And so after doing this, I mean, Brad probably does it on his farm. But okay. the, the thing is, if I had continued in that sort of manual labor, more regularly, then what would happen is that the calluses would have formed on my hands. So I could dig a hole, blister free. Now, the reason why the blisters formed is because of the stress. The manual labor exposed the softness in my hands. Okay, now the stress that we find ourselves under in life does a great job revealing where or in what areas our faith has become soft. The manual labor that exposed my hands and to show that my hands weren't as tough as I thought they were, the stresses and the trials and the testings that we go through expose where we really place our faith, who we really trust, what we really Rely on and exposes because of the ease of, of living in a first world country in the 21st century. Australia is a great country to live in. I, mean, I love living in Australia, but because of the ease of one's life, because of the relaxed nature that we can sometimes have, even as Christians, or the lack of opposition we have in our Christian faith, we can have a rude awakening when difficulties do arise when trials do arrive, when testing does happen. A.B. Simpson said this, quote, Difficulties and obstacles are God's challenges to faith. When hindrances confront us in the path of duty, take note of that, when hindrances confront us in the path of duty, we are to recognize them as vessels for faith to fill with the fullness and all sufficiency of of Christ, end quote. But you'll notice something that A.B. Simpson says there. He says, confront us in the path of duty while we are about God's will, while we're about doing what he says, while we are walking in obedience to his word. That's when we have the clearer vision because if you're running around just getting into the sin for the fun of it, if you know you shouldn't be doing something and you suffer the consequences of it, that's something completely different. But as we walk, now, We have to understand, and this is what I found really encouraging. We have to understand something that Abraham does here regarding this situation. That this point now of offering his son has been built up over time. The relational faith that enabled him to embrace the promises happened over time. Because if you read throughout his life from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 22... You see the decades of failures, the decades of victories, the decades of hiccups that take place. But God, in his grace, took the time to develop him even when he failed. God took the time to nurture him even when he tripped up. For example, in Genesis 12 Verses 10 to 20, you read about when he lies about his wife being his wife and says, they, they, i just say you're my sister because the king of Egypt might, you know, he might kill me and, and take you for his own. In Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Sarah offers him, offers him Hagar. And he's like, okay. And he goes for it. And then has a son with Hagar, who is Ishmael. So he gives in to his lust. In Genesis 17, verses 17 to 19, there is doubt when even Abraham asks God and says, why don't you just let Ishmael, because just let Ishmael be the one. And he says, no, I've, I've given you the promise. In Genesis 20, verses 1 and 2, he lies again, this time to King Abimelech, about his wife being his wife and saying, oh, you're my sister, doing the same thing again. These are times when Abraham was confronted with choices, given a crisis of faith, and he failed each time. He failed each time. But it's in these instances he was saying, God, you can do it. I can do it God's way. I can do it my own. And he did it his own way. So, did he fail? Yes. Did he struggle? Oh, for sure. But the failures and the struggles that the Lord walked him through were all significant events. That brought him to the point of where he is now, of regardless of where he was, regardless of what the situation is, he trusted God's promise and he trusted that God keeps his promise. This is this is the toughening of his faith. This is dealing with those blisters so that he grew to trust God regardless of the situation. You might be going through these now to view each of your circumstances, each of your struggles, even your failures as means by which God is toughening your faith. Of God revealing himself to you in those moments so that you will grow from faith to faith, that you'll grow from glory to glory. That's the act that he is currently working on in us too. That the promises of like Philippians 1:6 and Ephesians 2:10 speaks to how the Lord is toughening our faith, in our difficulties, in our hardships and in our troubles, in order to increase our dependence upon Him, and see the loving heart of our God." A.W. Pink says this: "Faith endures as seeing him who is invisible." endures the disappointments, the hardships, and the heartaches of life by recognizing that all comes from the hand of him who is too wise to make a mistake and too loving to be unkind. That's a beautiful description of even those difficulties. He is far too wise to make a mistake in our lives. He is far too loving to be unkind to us in our lives. That is how our faith is toughened that we embrace, embrace the promises of God's word, that we embrace the person of Jesus Christ, that we embrace the fellowship of the saints, that we embrace the blessings that he's bestowed upon us, that we embrace the vision and the capacity to see what God is doing regardless of what is taking taking place around us. And then you see, because of your faith being toughened, you can then bear witness to his faith, or our faith being triumphant. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20-21, we just read. I'm not going to spend too much time here, but we read this: By faith, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, all I want that to be a witness, or a, I guess you could say, a legacy of, is the fact that God continued. That God, through Isaac, kept going. That God. Once again, through Isaac, we see Jacob and Esau. That God, through Isaac, we see Jacob, and then we see Joseph. That through Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, we see all of these things take place because God had promised. You see, this is the triumph of a toughened faith. And that it's grounded in a person who always keeps their word. It's grounded in a person who always wants what's best for his people. It's grounded in a person who has the capacity to follow through on what he said. That's the blessing of knowing God in Jesus Christ. That we, like, that we won't fall into the trap of thinking that we, we live in a false or irrational, or ignorant way of life, but rather that we serve a risen Savior, that we know the one true God, that we have His Spirit dwelling within us to enable us to live and see and recognize what He is doing, that just like in the past, how He has brought about good to those that trust Him, that all things work together for good, according to Romans 8, It doesn't mean that all things are going to be cheery. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows. But what it does mean is that we can know that he is working in us to do and to will of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.3. This is the blessing we have in Christ. This is the blessing we know as our Savior and in our Savior, especially as we look at what confronts us. That like Abraham, we are to embrace those promises of his word. That like Abraham, we are to trust in the one who made those promises. And like Abraham, we are to watch God be God. And believe that what he says, he will do. If he knows the beginning from the end. If he has set the stars in their place and the planets in their orbit. If he holds our lives in his hand, then regardless of the trial, regardless of the testing, regardless of the temptation, regardless of the trouble, we in Christ will be toughened, will gain a tenacity to stand firm, will be tempered as we're strengthened in our relationship with him, and then we'll experience triumph. What well, we are told in the scriptures, that we are more than overcomers through Christ. That is, That is how life is to be lived. Is it going to be easy? No. Is everything going to be fine? No. But our faith in him, our capacity to see with the eyes of faith will enable us to overcome because we see see him who truly is sovereign and in control of all things. I want to close with this quote, Another, another A.W. Pink quote. It says, So long as we are occupied with any other object than God himself, there will be neither rest for the heart nor peace for the mind. But when we receive all that enters our lives as from his hand, then no matter what may be our circumstances or surroundings, whether in a hovel or prison, whether in a dungeon, we at a martyr's stake, we shall be enabled to say what Psalm 16, 6 says, the lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places. But that is called the language of faith, not of sight, nor of sense. End quote. May you and I learn from the life and the example of Abraham. May we Be proficient and efficient in living and learning the language of faith and not of sight nor sense. Because when we can see the spiritual, when we can see our God, then, yeah, we can view the rest of our lives in its right perspective. Father, as we stand here in your presence, I pray that you will be our firm foundation, that our trust will be in you and you alone, that we, like Abraham, though we are tried and tested, that we will be toughened and triumphant because of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. May our focus ever be upon you. Give us the eyes of faith to see beyond our circumstance, to see beyond our situation, to see beyond our obstacles, and to see you and you alone. Father, we thank you so much that we can be called the sons and daughters of the one true God. We pray that all honor and all glory and all majesty be given unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask you to dismiss us now. Amen.